And I just eventually learned to stop holding her to this high standard of this mother that I thought she was supposed to be. Um, and, and it's interesting because I had this revelation with both of my parents at different points in my, 20, in my early 20s of like, I needed to mourn the loss of the parents that I thought they were supposed to be. Like I had this idea of who my mom was mm. and my, this idea of who my dad was supposed to be based off of what was sold to me on television or whatever that picture perfect lifestyle was the same way my mother was chasing her own picture perfect lifestyle. And I was like, and I have to let go of this idea of, you know, who they're supposed to be because all that does is set them up to fail and set myself mm -hmm. up for disappointment. And, and it was hard. Like you have to, I had to cry over the loss of the parents that were never going to show up for me. Hey mamas, welcome to the Being Mother Hustler podcast. I'm your host mother hustler, Kareen Mills. I'm a mama of two boys, founder of a tribe called Mother Hustler Nation, co-founder of the Game Changers Global Network, an insurance professional turned lifestyle entrepreneur, keynote speaker, and author. Each and every week, I'm bringing you stories and thoughts from mom entrepreneurs who will inspire you to take massive, imperfect action, unapologetically chase your dreams, and eradicate your excuses so you can quit treating your business like a hobby and turn your side hustle into full-time income. I know being mother hustler is not easy. But sisters, we are making it happen, even in this beautiful mess. Thank you so much for being present with me today. Now let's go mother the world. Zach Peter is a published writer, pop culture commentator, podcast host of not just one but two, and health activist. Zach isn't your average green juice drinking millennial. As a writer, he has published a total of four books with his work featured on Yahoo, Men's Health, Bustle, Pop Sugar, People, and more. In between collagen martinis, you can catch his signature wit and gift of gab as the host and producer of the hit weekly podcasts, hashtag no filter with Zach Peter and hashtag adulting life hacks to get your shit together. His work extends far beyond entertainment, spending the past decade raising awareness and funds for autism, even serving as executive director for Jenny McCarthy's foundation in honor of his brother, Ethan. He also helps launch several successful events and wellness conferences around the country including the Autism Education Summit, a three-day conference of over 700 guests held annually in Dallas, an evening with Donnie Wahlberg, a benefit concert held in St. Charles, Illinois in 2016 and 2017, raising a total of $1.4 million in funds for charity, and the Elevated Summit, a wellness event series hosting some of the country's top health experts. He often works as a regular event host, moderator, 
at various wellness and culture events throughout the country and covers an array of topics from buzzy health trends to pop culture, celebrity news, and gossip. Mother Hustlers, please help me in welcoming a man of impact, ready to share what he learned from his own mother, Zach Peter. Welcome back to the Being Mother Hustler podcast, everybody. So I just got back from LA and there were a couple of people I really wanted to meet in LA. And one of which is with us today, Zach Peters. Welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. So Zach is, and the reason I have you today too, is because a lot of, um, listeners are probably wanting to start a podcast. I get a lot of questions on social media like, hey, I've been thinking about, you know, starting a podcast and I want to pick your brain and I want to ask you some questions. But I think it's a lot of questions, same question and not questions enough to, you know what, what better way to have somebody like Zach, who's got two growing podcasts and doing a phenomenal job in the podcasting world and podcasts are never going away at least as far as i know (laughs) they came and went for like a minute in like 2005 when like a bunch of like tech nerds were doing it on like apple on ipods but now it's it's a thing now yeah it's um i think i saw it on uh post somewhere that it's like podcasting is like having tattoos back in the days. (laughs) Like everybody wants to do it. So yeah, it's like a podcast. Yeah. So Zach, since we, like, I really loved our conversation when you talked about your mom, Mm -hmm. because I love people's stories about, um, you know, just paying tribute to their mom because you become who you are from And we, during our teenage years, we really like don't recognize that, that we become who we are from our childhood. Can you give us a little snippet of how that childhood was? And how do you think that shaped you from that childhood to who you're becoming as an adult? Yeah. Um, Well, my parents had me in high school. I was an oopsie whoopsie behind the bleachers that kind of just (laughs) happened. Um, and so they probably had me when I was about, when they were about 18. So, and I think at that, nobody's ready to be a parent at that age. And I think they, um, my mom definitely um, loved me just like unconditionally. I was kind of like her world for, you know, right when I came out of the womb, came out kicking and screaming which she told me, like, I just, oh, no, actually, I didn't come out kicking and screaming. They had to vacuum me out because that's how stubborn I am. Is I, they had to, like, I wasn't ready. I, you know, I've always kind of made my own rules. Um, but, yeah, they had me really young. And so I think I feel like I grew up with them in a lot of different um, areas. You know, I kind of got to see them each, you know, come in and out of relationships and get married for the first time and all of that stuff. They actually didn't end up staying together. They tried to make it work until it was probably about like two or three. And then they ended up like, you know, swipe left. This isn't working. Um, And then I kind of watched them go through their 20s. And I went through that along with them. And I 
you know, was raised with a lot of adults. I didn't have a lot of siblings early on because, you know, once you have one, you know, little oopsie whoopsie in high school, you're not quick to have another. Well, actually, yep. my, father, my father can take the cake on that one. He has five kids and they were just like one after another. Five kids and three baby mamas. So he was like trying to set a new record. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I definitely, I feel like I got to grow up a lot with them and, you know, see them go through different um, milestones in their 20s leading up into their 30s. And, you know, it kind of forced me to be a little more independent. You know, I think in your 20s, you do have, you know, bits now that I'm in my 20s, you do have these moments where you um, need to be selfish. And I didn't necessarily understand that growing up, but it definitely... Um, forced me to be a lot more independent. And so I had my grandparents that would kind of step in and help raise me. Um, but yeah, it was, it was fun. It was, it was wild to say the least. When you say you have to be selfish, can you explain that? Because there are, there's a lot of posts that resonates with me about being selfish. And there's also a lot of posts that resonate with me about being a giver and serving and your you're always serving people, but explain like the gray area of uh, selfish in serving others. Well, it's interesting. I actually, on my podcast, had Money Mogul, Nicole Laffin. She wrote the books, um, the New York Times bestsellers, Rich Bitch, Boss Bitch, and her new book is called Becoming Superwoman. And in her book, she talks about the difference, or actually on the show, I asked her the difference between what it means to be selfish and what it means to be, um, to have self-love. Because I think in, in our culture right now, we kind of blur the lines between what we think self-love is and how it can be selfish. And I was like, you know, is it selfish if my mom's like, I need a ride to the airport? And I'm like, no, I need to do me time and meditate. Sorry, call an Uber. I was like, is that self, you know, is that taking care of yourself when it's, you know, at the, um, you know, when it can be hurting somebody else. And so she said that she explained it in a way that she said that like selfish is really kind of taking care of yourself. And our culture has really kind of demonized that word to make it seem like we, um, that to be selfish is not a great thing, even though it really is just putting your self care at the forefront. Um, and I think that that's really important. And I think in your twenties, when you don't have as many responsibilities or, you know, you're really just trying to figure out who you are. I think mm -hmm. you are conditioned from, you know, being a child growing up and then once you're 18, you're told like, that's it, you're an adult, you know, you have to have everything figured out. You have to know what you want to do in college and what you're going to do after that and when you're going to get married and how many kids you want, um, which are all the, the questions I ask on a first date, by the way. Um, but <laughs> so I feel like we go through this personal journey of trying to figure out who we are and there are times where you have to be selfish to figure out either are selfish in your 20s intentionally because you know you're trying you you are in the pursuit of figuring out who you are or you over you overdo it um and this is where i think i fell into the other side of it is you are so much of service that you neglect yourself um, mm -hmm. And I think that's really unhealthy. So you need to kind of find um, a healthy balance between taking care of yourself in order to be of service to other people. I think that's really important. And, you know, we, our culture really has demonized being selfish and taking care of ourselves. And now we're, you know, trying to just figure out what that, that appropriate level is now. Yeah, that's really hard for a lot of my listeners and audience because as a mother, um, we go through a lot of stages of guilt. And as a woman, we go through a lot of 
stages of guilt and there's many guilts that we go through. And one of those is, you know, I'm going to go leave my children and go have my own time, or I'm going to leave my children and go have an hour of massage at the spa or have a spa day or a weekend trip with the girls. It's a lot of moms choose not to do any of those because they feel like they're not being a good mother. And so I want to segue to the story of your mom and how you at first, didn't really like how she was absentee and always going for whatever she wants to do because we had this long conversation during our coffee and I really like how she knows exactly who she is and what she wants, the way that you described it. So... I've had, a conver- I've had conversations with her and, and lis- in listening to her, you know, tell her, her story, I've she has always been a free spirit and she's kind of like a little pixie and she just kind of flies everywhere. And I remember, you know, growing up as a kid, you just want structure and you want stability and you want discipline. And like me, I would come home and have bad grades and she would be like, oh, you know, just try better next time. Like, I know you can do it. And I was just always kind of craving somebody to put me in my place. Um, and she was just so lackadaisy, you know, I <laughs> even at some point, you know, just was like, I'm going to go to India and I'm going to write a book. And so she went with this woman on this trip and she like went to India. Um, And so she's always kind of um, been on this spiritual quest. And I think for a lot of when I was growing up, she wasn't, she was looking for herself, but she wasn't herself, you know? And I think she, part of her, you know, being selfish or not necessarily being fully present was in her pursuit of figuring out what it is that's supposed to make her happy. And I think, you know, she explains it so wonderfully that like she was told this story that like, you're supposed to have a husband and have kids and have the white picket fence and have the two dogs. Mm -hmm. And like, this is the story that you're supposed to be told that you're supposed to become a mother and you're supposed to become a wife and you're supposed to be of service to your family. And that those are the things that are supposed to fulfill you. And she went through that process and she really did fight hard for that you know she got married to my stepfather and like that was her whole goal she stood by him through so much bs that like to me was Mm. like you need to leave this man he's not good for you and i like practically begged her to leave him so many times because he was just it was not a healthy relationship um and i could just tell that like she wasn't like she loved him but she wasn't fulfilled or happy with him and he didn't bring like he would bring joy to her life that he didn't really help bring the fulfillment that I think she was looking for. And I think it's because the fulfillment that you're seeking really comes internally. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it, it was a challenge for me because I often felt like she was choosing that fairy tale over what, you know, me, my brothers were too young at the time, but like what me, her son was, was needing from her, you know, and was seeking from her. And mm-hmm. yes, she definitely loved me unconditionally, but it felt like she was just chasing this dream that, um, she was fighting so hard for. So I remember when she decided to leave my stepfather and to move out of the house and to go out on her own, that to me, like, just like blew my mind because I was like, what do you mean? Like you fought so hard for this like ideal picture, this, you know, wow. portrait, this target portrait in a frame of what you thought you, you wanted your life to be. And to me at the time, I was probably like 17, 18, um, just getting into college, I didn't understand why she would give that up so easily. And then now, all these years later, I understand that it's because, you know, she was trying to buy into this idea that wasn't real, you know? And so eventually going through my own kind of, um, 
you know, journey. I think in, as a teenager, I really kind of shut the world out and pushed everybody away and like tried to take everything on by myself. Um, and I pushed her away for a lot of that, which I feel badly about now and wish I didn't because we have such a great relationship now that I wish we had had that a lot sooner. Um, and I just eventually learned to stop holding her to this high standard of this mother that I thought she was supposed to be. Um, and, and it's interesting because I had this revelation with both of my parents at different points in my 20, in my early 20s of like, I needed to mourn the loss of the parents that I thought they were supposed to be. Like I had this idea of who my mom was mm. and my, this idea of who my dad was supposed to be based off of what was sold to me on television or whatever that picture perfect lifestyle was the same way my mother was chasing her own picture perfect lifestyle. And I was like, and I have to let go of this idea of, you know, who they're supposed to be because all that does is set them up to fail and set myself mm -hmm. up for disappointment and and it was hard like you have to i had to cry over the loss of the parents that were never going to show up for me you know what wow. i mean and that's really hard to do and then eventually i was like okay now that i've let them go i can now embrace these two people for who they are and love them and know that they love me to the best of their ability and they were my parents you know to the best of their ability and you know, just embrace them for who they are. And now I can look at them so differently. And I look at my mother as this, you know, pixie little free spirit that at one point I wanted to just grab her and put her in a jar and put her in my pocket, <laughs> like, like Nancy, just stay still for one minute. Now I can look at her and be like, wow, she takes me out of the structure that I often, you know, the need for control and the perfectionism that I often find myself in. You know, she kind of releases me from all of that because I can just be free by seeing her and by just, you know, instead of trying to catch her, just being like, you know what, let me get off the ground and fly with her. And then it takes me out of the neurosis that I get myself stuck in. Wow. That was a lot of nuggets that you, you dropped. Um, I don't know where to start, but one thing for sure is our kids are watching. And, and this is why I'm doing a pivot in my podcast because you know, some of the male guests that I have, and in, in, yes, they might be a male guest, but when they talk about their mom like you are right now, it's really giving that different perspective about how kids are always watching us when we are doing our thing and whether or not we're happy, fulfilled, or unhappy in a relationship. Our kids are always wondering why we're still in it if we're miserable in it our kids are always rooting for us when we're going for it but one of the thing that you said you questioned your mom when she finally left because you went through stages right you went through a stage where why are you still with this man when i can see that you are not fulfilled or He's not supporting your whatever it is that your, fulfills you. And then when she finally let go of that relationship, you again question her in a very different way. And I think our kids always challenge us, right? To make sure that we, I think our kids are just as much of a guide for us as we are to them. And so when she finally left that, you're like, what do you mean you work so hard for this? It's, it's very beautiful. Thank you for that. And I think the thing is too, which I don't think that she realized, and I think that a lot of mothers don't realize, is like at the end of the day, as much as your kids may 
get frustrated with you or, you know, don't understand your decisions or question them or like challenge you, as you say, at the end of the day, we're still rooting for you, you know? So if you need to go away, so the thing that, that for me was really challenging is like, I didn't understand why my mother needed to go to India. I didn't understand why she needed to be in a relationship with this man. I didn't understand why she wanted to leave this man. And it wasn't until years later that I started to ask those questions and she started to be honest. And she's like, look, you know, I know this might be a little too candid, but I would, I didn't realize that, you know, this picture of what I was supposed to have wasn't going to fulfill me. And, you know, to me, I was just like, because I guess I was in, in a way kind of conditioned to also believe that like that picture lifestyle is what's going to fulfill you. And it wasn't until she explained it to me as like, you know, this, what I thought was supposed to make me happy ultimately didn't, which kind of you know, as a kid, as, as the child, kind of, like, there's a little bit that stings that's like, oh, well, the kids that you have, you're saying didn't fulfill you, you know, in the way that you thought they were. But I mean, that's not what she was saying. She was just wow. honesty and her candor and her vulnerability with me ultimately led me to be like, okay, let's really work on this relationship. And let, let me really let you back in. Because I pushed her out for a lot of, you know, for many years emotionally, because um, we've always kind of, you know, physically been in each other's lives. But, you know, emotionally, I just had a really big wall and guard up. But it wasn't until she kind of let, you know, her wall down first and was like, you know, I really want you to understand. And I think we are always rooting for our mothers at the end of the day, but sometimes we don't under understand. And so I don't know what the appropriate way to do that is. But like, explaining these things, I think, is important, because then yeah. there isn't much judgment. Sometimes too, even though somebody explains it to you, you're not ready. Not you're not ready to receive the information. And I don't know about you, but when I'm reading a book and I reread the book again, I capture new information that I th thought it's new information, but it's always been there. But you haven't grown in your life or in your journey enough to receive specific information. Um, just like when you decided to let go of the expectation that you had and disciplined your disappointment um, to that these parents that you were picturing in your mind weren't going to show up and will never be the parents that you actually were gifted. What part of your life or what part of your journey that you think you've grown up enough to release that fantasy of a parent or parents that you were hoping for and what kind of self development or practice and whatnot did you think that you can credit that to? Because we talked about personal development a lot too in our conversation. And I want to hear that from you. If, you know, there was a certain point in your life that you've finally just grown into this person that says, okay, they're never going to show up. Yeah, I think it was, I was like 17 turning 18. And to me, that was kind of like a, a light switch moment because it was like, oh, I'm now 18. And like my parents have no more legal responsibility or obligation to me. And so, uh -huh. you know, I was waiting all of this time, you know, for them to, to show up in the way that I wanted them to or the way that I thought that I needed them to. And then it, I was kind of like, okay, I'm 18. And like these people that I'm waiting for, like if they didn't show up in the way that I needed to for the past 18 years, it's not all of a sudden going to start now, you know, or, or more concrete example is like, it's like, that's when child support for my father kind of expired. And then I was like, oh, like he really, 
has no tire obligation to me. And that was really challenging and hard to accept. And I remember like wow. freaking, like waking up in the middle of the night, like with panic attacks or like crying myself to sleep every night, just like not understanding and like being like, these people are never going to show up for me. You know, I've been waiting all of this time and now they're just not going to come. And it took me a little bit longer to then eventually realize I need to mourn the loss of them and not like suppress it and be angry because then that's a big thing as well as you're, you know, you're so, um, you build up all this resentment and then it kind of comes out and festers into ways that are unhealthy and, and into different relationships. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, my 18th birthday where it was like okay now I'm legally on my own and independent and I've always felt independent I've always felt you know like I've been you know on my own but like now it's real wow you talk about your two grandparents grandmoms grandmothers and I myself had a co-parent which was my my grandmother who is, who's now passed a long time ago, but she is, I always look, look at her as our hero because I had a very absent father who's doing bad stuff or, you know, like womanizing and doing just things that are not okay. Gambling, have a lot of vices. And when he did come home, it was like scary and he wreaked havoc. And it was better when he was gone, which is very unfortunate. Like we wanted him to be outside of the house and and we preferred him to be absent versus being present because when he was present, it was very bad. But my grandmother was his mom and my grandma was always there for us, supported us financially, supported us emotionally, spiritually, and everything in between. My mom was there, but, you know, like you, I look back and it's like, I have two children and my mom had six. And you can only imagine, like, I could, I mean, I can barely handle mine and I do it with my husband, let alone with her by herself. She has to go mother hustle and get some food on the table. And my grandma was there for us. And then eventually my grandma came over to America, which was the main reason why we're here because she sponsored us, but she sent us a lot of money, sent us to college when my mom couldn't do a lot of those. So she was more of a supplemental co-parent to my mom. It sounds like to you, when you told me over coffee and you said you were both grandparents were there for you right yeah Yeah. I lived I mean because my mom was so young she often didn't live on her own she lived at home with her parents Mm -hmm. um and then there were bouts where we we moved out and then eventually she got married and and was building a little household of her own and I I was probably like 12 maybe 11 or 12 and I remember we went on a trip to Hawaii and I, I wasn't a great student. I'll just, I'll, I'll preface it with that. I've never been. A- <laughs> we went on a trip to a vacation to Hawaii, which was during the school year. And I remember when we got there, um, she's like, okay, you have homework that you need to do while we're here. And I was like, oops, I forgot my backpack. And I remember she got so upset with me. 
And she's like, um, you didn't forget your backpack or you, you left it intentionally. She's like, I know you and I know that you did this on purpose. And she's just like, I'm so frustrated right now. And she's like, and you need to make a decision whether you're going to continue to stay living with me or whether you want to move in with your grandparents. But like, you need to make a decision. And like, you know, she kind of really put that out there. And I remember at first it like really broke me because it was like her, I felt like I was fighting so hard to like, you know, again, help her achieve that dream picture lifestyle that she wanted. And now she was saying that like, I can like leave the picture now, which that's how I interpreted it. That's how I received that information at that time. And I remember it hurt me so much that I was just like, fine, I want to live with my grandparents then. And she's like, okay, then you get to live with your grandparents. And when we go back, you'll, you know, finish collecting your things and you can go live with them. And then her saying that, it like broke me even more. And so I was probably like 11 or 12 when I decided to move in with my grandparents full time. They had a spare bedroom that I would stay in, but then eventually I was like, okay, I'm really gonna take the rest of the things out of my mom's house and really move into my grandparents full time. Um, and it was also like closer to my school. So it was just, mm -hmm. it was more convenient for everybody. And so I lived with my grandparents, um, with my mother's parents up until I was about 17. And then I ended up leaving um, I checked myself out of, out of my traditional high school, enrolled into a homeschooling program, and then lived with my dad's parents from 17 to 25. Mm. Uh, so I lived with my grandparents and they, you know, I think they saw that my parents were, were really young and not necessarily ready to be parents at that age. They often would step in. My grandmother's more specifically, my, my dad's mother and my mother's mother. Um, and I just remember growing up and really seeing them as the ones that kind of held my family together and, you know, mm. were the breadwinners or were the emotional support and the financial support and just like really took care of the family. You know, my, each of my grandfathers each kind of had their own demons that they were battling. And then my dad wasn't really, you know, fully present. You know, he had a wife and kids elsewhere. And then, um, and my stepfather was just a real mess. He was like a, an alcoholic. And like, like I said, he was just not, he was, it was bad. Um, so I just, it was really hard for me to look up to the men in my life and see them mm. as like, you know, have much respect for them. I mean, I love them and, and have respect for like my grandfathers, but like, it was just hard. Like I would look at, you know, my mother's mother and my, and her father. And like, he was just, I just saw him as, as always draining my grandmother and seeing her trying to keep the household together. And like, he would always spend all the money and he would like go to the grocery store and just like buy all of this junk that like we didn't need. And it was obviously, you know, there were issues that he, mental issues that he wasn't dealing with and depression and all of that stuff. Um, but I just always saw the women as the strong figures in my life and my grandmothers as kind of like emotional support for me. And to this day, you know, I'm super close with both of my grandmothers. I spend like, you know, one day a week going, like yesterday I spent the day with, um, with one of my grandmothers I went and we spend the day and we veg out and we watch trash reality TV together. You know, <laughs> wow. You know, I just, That's I, so cool. to appreciate them so much. So how did you, and now we're getting into the, the nitty gritty of podcasting. Have you always been really good at hosting shows? Because I also see you hosting events or being an MC or one of the panelists of events and whatnot. Because I've known you for a bit now. And so I've, we actually started getting to know each other through Instagram, which is amazing. I love Insta. And I noticed that you are very good at it. And so how did you start your journey from, you know, being a beginner in 
podcasting and hosting, and you talked about nonprofit that you were involved, always mm-hmm. been around people. So give us a little um, story about your journey na- to now. Um, yeah, so I spent the past 10 years really heavily focused in activism, primarily for autism. My brother was diagnosed um, when he was about three years old. And uh, I just remember seeing my mom, I think that's kind of where she first found her passion was through the service of trying to help him. And so mm-hmm. I remember seeing seeing that and really being really wanting to be a good, I guess as the oldest, I felt really responsible for taking care of him. Um, and again, my stepfather just wasn't really there and it felt like everybody was kind of um, just not on my mother's team a lot of the time. So I kind of wanted to support her. I think I always longed and craved for that relationship with her. So mm-hmm. it was through wanting to be you know, around her and also helping my brother and that feeling that innate responsibility to take care of him that I kind of stepped into my role as an activist, which eventually led me to kind of find a voice and see that I can use my voice to help other people. And um, I mean, even though I've always kind of had, I mean, like I was always getting in trouble for like talking too much in class. Like at one point <laughs> I remember one had to like take my desk and separate it from the other students just to like get me from you know to keep me from socializing so I've always been a talker I've always loved to talk I've always had a lot of opinions um I definitely get my humor and my wit from my father and a little bit from my mother but my father's just very like quick-witted and funny um it's one thing he gave me um (laughs) and so I just remember being really sassy in school and just like having really quick wits and like I would always just make people laugh. And I remember when I was in the eighth grade, um, they were planning the talent, the school's talent show and the teacher who organized it and uh, her committee of students were like, oh, we think you should emcee the, or you should host the talent show this year. And I remember looking at them, I was like, what do you mean? Like, I don't, I don't think I could ever host anything. I never pictured myself on stage. I've had the worst stage fright. And then everyone's like, yeah, you should do it. You would be really good at it. And to me, I was just like, so like, I've never pictured myself doing that. When I was growing up, I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to be, I always knew I loved to entertain. And I guess the, the, the only way I saw that happening was through acting. Um, and then I grew up and took acting classes in college and realized like actors are terrible and like have therapists <laughs> and like I would rather be myself on stage or in a public forum rather than, you know, play somebody else. And um, in college, I took some acting classes and then I started to do stand-up and um, eventually fell into hosting. And I remember I was hosting a web series on YouTube that lasted about two seasons and then it got canceled. And I remember I was like, I love doing this hosting. I love having conversations with people. I love picking their brain. I love making an audience laugh. I love doing the stand-up. Stand-up is a really brutal, it's really brutal craft because you're like mm. throwing yourself on stage and like telling people to laugh at you however you you know can make them laugh um and so with what i learned in my acting classes and doing stand-up and studying studying comedy for a while and then with the youtube series that ended up getting canceled i remember ended up falling into uh, i was talking to a couple of different radio stations about doing a radio show and then eventually um, found a studio that specialized in podcasting and it just kind of, you know, worked out. And that was a little over four years ago. And that's when No Filter started. Wow. No Filter is funny. Yeah. And no. you have guests talking about um, current entertainment events. 
yeah. and pop it's culture. A, yeah, it's a pop culture show. We release twice a week. And so Mondays we do pop culture breakdowns. And then on Wednesdays we do like celebrity interviews. What um, is, what is it that you love about No Filter with Zach? One, it's my first baby before adulting came into the picture. Um, it was kind of my first show. I remember I was going through a lot when the show first started. I, you know, I just mm-hmm. got my heart broken really badly. Um, again, feeling kind of alone, just not really, this was before, or this was at the time I was starting to kind of build a relationship with my mother. Um, and and I just lost the web series that I loved doing so much and to see it kind of just go away. You know, I really needed something to kind of throw my energy into. Mm-hmm. Uh, And I remember at first, because I had a podcast when I was 15, like before podcasting was the thing. I was 15 years old. I recorded on my phone in my bedroom. It was on this like little online software that I would do it on. And it was about autism. And I would have different influential guests in the community come on the show and share what they were doing. And I did it for a few months. And then I remember, probably like six months. And then I was like, you know what? This is like not for me. I'm not a radio person. I'm an on-camera talent. I need to like, people need to see my face because I'm really funny. Um, And so I was like, I'll never do this again. So when the podcasting opportunity came up like six, seven years later, I was kind of like, oh, I didn't think I would ever do this again, but I just needed something to throw myself into creatively to really release everything that I had inside me Mm -hmm. and everything that I was dealing with. And yeah, it just really was a forum for me to kind of share my thoughts, share my opinions and have really thought provoking conversations with people that I really looked up to and aspired to, um, to be whether they were you know, comedians or actors or whatever form of entertainment they were in. And I often brought on like different experts and self-help gurus on the show as well, because that was something that I was really passionate about as well. So it was just a place for me to be a creative outlet that was also a place to have meaningful conversations that helped people at the same time. That's awesome. Wow, 15, you were already doing podcasting on a different platform? Yeah. Wow. I look back at it now, and I've always been a bit of a hustler. Like, I remember in, like, the sixth, seventh grade, um, I learned how to, not that it's not anything to be too proud of, but I learned (laughs) how to illegally download music, and so I would (laughs) these, and I would sell them to the other kids in school, because, like, at Target, you would pay, like, $10 for a CD, so I would bring them to school and sell them for, like, $4, and then, you know, sell them to kids, you know, so that way they, you know, they can use their lunch money, their $4 to buy a, a sandwich to mm-hmm. buy a um, even if their parents wouldn't let them buy that album at Target, but I would go and I would sell it, and I remember yeah. I would even put out, like, the artwork, and I would put it in the CD and, like, make it look really professional, and then at one point, like in the seventh grade, I think I started like a little ma- a digital magazine about what was happening in the classroom with all the students and like it was wow. very us weekly style. So I've always kind of had that, you know, business mindset, that hustler mindset. Yeah. Creative too, right? You've always been a creative. I think, I think there's a lot of ways to be creative and, you know, it's funny you talk about your burning the CD but when I was in college, this is another thing you can't be proud of. <laughs> One of those things. But when you're an entrepreneur, you, you know, you're a hustler, you just figure it out. And I've always been, yeah, and ideas never stop. So podcasting, you talk about it as an outlet. And for me, it's definitely an outlet for me to build friendships, to build relationships. I love being just raw, listening to people on my podcast and um, tell stories, you know, of different people, uh, learn from their stories. When I was in college, I 
you know, I went to a Catholic university of all things in the Philippines. And then I would go to this like ghetto neighborhood where they sold um, imitation Calvin Klein watches and all these branded watches that it's like I would buy it for 40, 40 pesos in the Philippines. And then I'd, I'd turn around and sell it for like 500 pesos in, on campus and I'd collect weekly and I would go to like people's classes weekly and <laughs> collect like payment, payment plans. But, um, but there's a lot of rich kids there and, you know, I, I just had enough for whatever I needed. I didn't have a lot of extra money. And so one day I finally had enough money and when cell phone, Nokia cell phones, you know, back in the days they came out and I would have the best cell phones and my parents would be like, what have you been stealing? <laughs> Where'd you get the money to buy all those good stuff? And like, I've always been that way like you. And, you know, it's funny now that we're, and I never, I've, I've, you're smart. I'm smart, but I never excelled. I mean, I excelled in class in elementary, but I figured out fast that you don't need a hundred percent in like grading system wise. I only need, needed the minimum to go to the next level. <laughs> and so I only did the minimum after I figured it out in high school and I, everybody was disappointed. I wasn't an honor student anymore. I wasn't like craving for school anymore. I was craving more of like my creative outlet. Yeah. I mean, that's why I ended up checking myself out of the traditional high school that I was in. It was like the high school that like everybody wanted me to go to, but like I never, it was a private Catholic high school. Um, and I remember I never wanted to go there. I was just like, oh, so it was also like an all boys school. And I was like, I don't want to go to an all boys, but like, that sounds like, that sounds like just, you know, boner central. And like, who wants, that? Who wants to go to that kind of energy? Um, and I remember going to summer school and like advancing in some of my classes. And um, by the time it was time for me to approach my senior year, there were only like three classes that I needed to graduate. And so I'm like, why am I going to like, what a waste of time that I'm going to spend all day at school taking seven courses when I only need three of them to graduate. And so I was like, I'm not doing this. And I told my mother, I was like, look, I found this program. This is what I'm doing. Like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing, I already talked to the Dean and I talked to the principal of the other school. Like, I don't even think she had a conversation with any of them, but I remember, yeah, I talked to my Dean in my high school and I talked to the principal of the other high school and the admissions counselor. And I got all my transcripts and like, I had everything set and I was like, I'm doing this. And I remember even my grandma at one point, she was even like, have you talked to your dad about this? And I was like, like, he's going to like, what is he going to do? Like, <laughs> I like signed my mother's signature on everything and like told her I did it. And like, it was <laughs> She was aware of it. Aware, <laughs> she knew it was happening. So it wasn't really forging it because she, <laughs> she knew about it. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So so adulting podcast because this guy right here don't just have one. He has two podcasts. The adulting podcast. How did that? How did you give birth on that for that podcast? What happened? And before you answer that question, I also want, because I know you were a little devastated when the web show ended. But one thing that I always teach people is that it ended, but it opened up a lot of doors, I bet. So what, and, and usually you network with people in 
in your current position or whatever it is you're doing and you meet certain people that get you to your next chapter to your next level right is that mm-hmm. true with with your web show that when it ended did you learn a lot and did you meet people that that was critical to you transitioning yeah. into other oh, things absolutely absolutely i think the web show ending was also a catalyst to um, the heartbreak that came uh, at that same time, which for me was really challenging to lose. Because anytime I was emotionally going through something, I've always thrown myself into some sort of career project to like avoid dealing with the issues. So to lose mm. both at the same time, I was like, I was like really lost and devastated. Um, and I definitely met a lot of really good guests that were on that series. I'd learned, you know, my voice a little bit as a host through that. The production crew that was helping film that show, I ended up working with a couple years later on a documentary that we did. Um, it was definitely a great networking tool and, and it was a really good um, just learning lesson, you know, and it was definitely meant to end. It was because there was a lot that I wasn't ready to let go of and a lot that I was ready for. And I needed that to end in order for all of the other things to come. Yes. And it opens up one door shuts and then a lot of other doors open. How did you choose the door of adulting podcast and how did that come about for you? Um, I've been really into the whole wellness community for, I guess, my brother's diagnosis of autism really kind of opened the door. I learned about, you know, what it meant to be gluten intolerant and dairy intolerant back when like gluten-free food tasted like grass and dirt from Whole Foods or before Whole Foods was even like Whole Foods now, you know, and you would eat cookies and you're like, oh, this is awful, but it's it's a Mm -hmm. cookie. Um, And so I remember exploring that lifestyle and being like, well, let me try this. Let me, you know, this helps my brother not to eat gluten and dairy and cut back on sugar. Like, let me start to make these swaps and changes. And I did. And then I went through my own kind of wellness journey. I went and cleaned out my cabinets and got rid of all the non-toxic, all of the toxic products that you have in your shower and in your household. Um, Got like my family to switch over household cleaning products. And then I started doing um, moderating panels at different wellness events. And um, one of the panels that I did, I met this um, woman, her name is Nikki Sharp, and she was a yogi. She'd written a a book that was like a bestseller. She developed a a detox app and we just had a really good synergy. And because we met through that event and she was really good on, she was one, she was really pretty. She was a model turned like, you know, Instagram guru. And um, I remember I would go to these events and then ask all of these people to come on my podcast. I would kind of use it as a way, I wouldn't get paid to do the events then, but I would use it as a way to network and to find really influential people mm-hmm. to then have on, on my show and like grow the audience from there. And so she was one of the people that I brought on my show and we just like had a really great synergy. We were in the same world. We knew a lot of the same people. We just had kind of that same hustler mindset. And I remember she's like, I love doing this. Like, I would love to podcast with you more. And so she ended up doing No Filter probably about like two or three times. And then she's like, we should do a podcast together. And at first I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I've heard that a million times. People have ideas <laughs> with their ideas and then, you know, it goes nowhere. Uh, especially in Los Angeles, everybody has ideas. Um, and so I was like, okay, fine. And then we kind of talked about it for a couple months and then eventually she's like, why don't, like, she really was serious about it. So I was like, okay, let's, let's book some studio time. Let's tape something and let's see what it is. And I remember we, um, we really hit it out of the park with our first couple of episodes. We had like Dr. Mark Hyman, we had Dave Asprey from Bulletproof, we had 
uh, Max Lugavere, who's the author of Genius Foods. Um, we had uh, celebrity nutritionist Kelly Levesque. We had Simone de la Rue, like JJ Virgin. We had like a lot of really big people in the wellness space that Nikki and I had both met over you know several years. And we just realized we had so much access to these people. And I knew that I hosted a pop culture show. So sometimes bringing in fitness and experts, like sometimes it didn't always mesh with the audience. Yes. And so I was like, I really keep no filter focused in this entertainment world. And then, you know, build something with Nikki that was focused in health and wellness and personal development. And so we really kind of pulled all of our contacts together. I mean, at the time, too, people were always like sliding into our DMs and like asking us questions about, you know, what about this and what are your tips on that? And so we're like, why don't we just kind of create a forum where we can bring all these experts, give people access to all of these experts, and also share all of the tips and tricks that we've learned in these areas of life that, you know, would be helpful for everybody. Yeah. And, you know, when you have a theme for your podcast, you can add it on, um, a different category on the podcasting world and it's it's a lot better to grow it when your theme is very focused. i don't know focused yeah right so we're now talking about theme and we're talking about the technicalities of podcasting do you edit and produce your own podcasts and do you um because i know you obviously record it right and what is your advice for somebody that's thinking about starting a podcast? Um, yes. So I do. So the recording part of it, are, we have two studios here in Los Angeles that we tape each of the shows at. They have their own studios. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then for a while, especially with like no filter, I would have like somebody else like edit it and distribute it and all that stuff when I didn't know much about the podcasting world. But when mm -hmm. adulting came into the picture, um, I we did everything ourselves, you know, from designing all of the graphics to booking the guests, to writing the show descriptions, to putting together the website, like we did everything. And so I learned so much. I learned about different equipment and eventually ended up buying some of the equipments so that I can also tape at home if I ever needed to. And I didn't always have to go in studio. Um, so now both shows, I really do everything. I edit them. I, you know, we do the, promotion of them, the distribution. Like I learned a lot only because then once you kind of learn something, you like, you know, you want to build that muscle and kind of build that craft yes. and skill. Yes. And it's just kind of, and I think for me, I'm always, like I said, I grew up a bit of a control freak, a bit of a perfectionist. So I just love kind of doing it all myself. Um, eventually I'll get better at like outsourcing some things because now I'm at the point where my plate's just so full that like sometimes it's a little daunting to edit everything and, and record everything and all of that stuff. But um, I think that is a true testament of somebody that should have a podcast is like, if you're willing to do all of that, mm -hmm. if you're willing to design your own artwork and edit your own episodes and do and edit in your own, you know, ad spots or promotions and book your own guests, like if you're willing to do everything within the show, then you're probably ready for it because you're passionate about it. And it's not about the money. It's not about the networking. It's not about the, the vanity of having your own show, but it's because you're passionate about something. And I think that's really the key to anybody. Cause I have a lot of people that come to me and they're like, I want to start a podcast. And I'm like, well, why do you want to start a podcast? They're like, I don't know. It's the thing to do. Everybody's starting a podcast. And I'm like, bye. Like, no, like no, that's yes. not the reason a podcast like you should have a podcast because you have a good idea you are passionate about something like me I'm passionate about talking about celebrities and pop culture like to me I love that like it just you know it and I even tell you people, too it does and I tell people like 
In the morning, you wake up, you have a bulletproof coffee, and you listen to adulting. And then you go, you hustle all day, and then you come home, and then you have you serve yourself a glass of wine, and you listen to No Filter because you need that. <laughs> break. They That's both awesome. Your day, they just don't fit into your day at the same time. Uh, and so that, and th those are two things that I truly love and I'm passionate about. And I think that like, that's a really big, important thing because once you have your passion, it's going to lead to like what your purpose is and your purpose is either to have conversations, to be, you know, an introductor to, to important influential people that you're going to share with an audience. Like it's a vehicle to help you have a creative outlet, fuel your passion and, and, and also fuel your purpose at the same time. Yeah, and I and I love how you describe both of your podcasts, and I and that's awesome. It's like a bookend of your day, right? Um, coffee and then wine in the end. Oh, it's great. So, I hear you say that when you do these, and it's a creative outlet, and and you become passionate about it. And I know you probably sing the same song as me when I say. And you have access to more information when you take action, you know, because you learn something not just about your guests or what your guests is bringing to the table. You also learn something about yourself. Thank you. See? Learn something about yourself in every yeah. conversation. It's so true. And you become a better version of you in every conversation after every conversation because the one thing about editing and producing your own podcast too is you have to listen to the conversation multiple times. Mm -hmm. And then I listen to the final product, you know, during the week and catch different things. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to do that this time. Oh, I'm going to do this next time. And you just get better at it. And I think the problem with people that are wanting to start a podcast just because everybody else is doing it is that they look at the outcome that you now have or I now have, the notoriety that we now have for, for going through this journey and they want what you have, but, but there's no purpose, there's no passion. And your passion is not my passion and vice versa. Look, so I've been doing no filter for four years. You're going to tell me that in those four years, I didn't have hurdles. I didn't lose a ton of money. I didn't, you know, have really bad episodes that we produced or get really bad reviews or whatever the case may be. Like there've been so many hurdles. Like you're going to get, I mean, it's really like starting a business and you're mm -hmm. going to get knocked down and you're going to face so many challenges. And the only way you're going to persevere through that, you know, one thing, that, one really good piece of advice that my mother gave me is um, obstacles are only put in your way to prove how badly you want something, which is obstacles so are only. I'm writing this down. Obstacles put in your way to prove how badly to make you prove how badly you want something, and mm -hmm. it's so true because if you face an obstacle and it feels like too much and you can walk away from it, then that means that that path you weren't really fulfilled in that path. You didn't really want that. But if you're willing to, you know, go around, jump every hurdle, go under every barbed wire, go into the mud and like really figure out a way to make it happen. It's because you're really, you, you want that at the end of the day. Yes. You fall, you fail, you get back up and you do it again. And, but this time better. Yeah. 
I mean, I can't even, I cringe at the thought of even listening to like the first season of No Filter because I know the show has evolved so much. I mean, it's been over four years. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, it, it, the show evolves and you know, that, like you're such a different person. The way you do things is so different. Like, you know, you grow with it. Mm-hmm. And your audience grow with it too. And then you become impressive. Like for me, I used to, um, I used to look at myself like, what am I going to talk about? What am I going to ask my guests? But then it, it developed my skill set of listening to people more and really like leaning in to listen to them because that's how I'm going to ask very impactful question. That's how I come up with very impactful question. And a lot of people that either have been on my podcast or listening to it, they're like, wow, you're such a great interviewer. And I'm like, thank you. But in my mind, when I started the podcast, like, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. But I have access to becoming a better person or becoming a better podcaster because I did it. I wasn't afraid. Because when you have that passion, you're no longer afraid to fail or fall or get laughed at or, you know, whatever, be a victim of a joke from people because you know that this passion is bigger than anything out there. Yeah. I mean, and I love it too, because I mean, for me, like I get like free therapy on it and, you know, and then what I, what I've learned that like people that listen to my shows or follow me on social media, what they've really come to appreciate. Cause like for me, I put it all out there all of my dating disasters, all of my bad sex, all of my, <laughs> you know, everything. Like I put it, I put it all out there. I've talked about, like we've done episodes like where I talked about my eating disorder and I brought my old therapist on the show. And like, you know, there's no topic that's really off limits. Mm-hmm. I've had to like learn how to like dial some things back. Cause like my family and my siblings don't necessarily want to be out there. And sometimes I'm just like, here's it all, you know? And I have to like, you know, be mindful of other people that want their privacy respected. But like, I, for the most part, will, will, will put it all out there. Um, and I found that by doing that, other people are able to relate to different situations. Maybe mm-hmm. they're going through that, like a heartbreak. Everyone's going to have, experience a heartbreak differently and how they get there it's going to be different but everybody's experienced a heartbreak so people can relate to that and so the tools or or tips and advice that you learn from that you know other people can can apply to their own life as well yes i love that ability to be able to kind of share and like swap tips and tricks with people i love that 100 percent agree to that and you already kind of answer this questions or question but what is it that uh, you learn the most from your mom? Like the biggest thing that you carry with you every single day, every moment of your life that you're like, ah, my mom told me this, or I need to do this because my mom would do this, the same thing. I love that piece of advice that I shared from her, but I think the biggest thing is to just, just be, you know, I remember her telling, cause for me, it's like, I always feel like I needed permission to be, you know, mm-hmm. And I, to just live my life freely and make the decisions that I want. I remember one time she was telling me, cause like there was a, um, we had a conversation where 
you know, she's just like, I don't feel like we're really close. I actually said something on one of my shows where I was like, you know, should we, we see each other often, but we're not really as close as I would like us to be. And she's like, you said that on your show and it kind of hurt me a little bit. And she's like, if you don't think that we're close, I'm like, let's be close. So like, tell me, like, she's just like, tell me about your life. Tell me about everything. She's like, you know, what's going on? Who are you dating? And I'm just like, you're being a little too, like, stop. Like, you're too aggressive right now. Like, if we're going to have a relationship, we need to build this slowly, you know? And she's like, okay. And so we just had a very real conversation. And I remember in that conversation, she's just like, look, you know, whatever you're going through, just like, go through it and be in it fully. She's like, look, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to screw up. She's like, just go out there and make, like, give yourself permission or just not even permission, but just allow yourself to like make mistakes. Stop trying to avoid them. She's like, go out there get your heart broken, break some hearts, like just like go out there and just like live your life fully because that's how you're gonna at the end of the day say that like I, you know, I lived a full life. And I remember at first when she first said, I was like, go out there and like fail and like break people's hearts. I'm like, God, that sounds so like me. <laughs> but it's so true. And now I'm just like, you know, it's so important to live your life authentically and to just be, you know, mm-hmm. to like be the pixie that flies around the world and isn't held to anything you know, that isn't attached to anything at the end of the day. And I think yeah. there's, just, there's beauty and freedom in that, that allows you, that freedom also allows you to like get closer to yourself, even though you think it would be the opposite. You think that like, you know, by not attaching to anything that you lose who you are, but it's the exact opposite. You end up finding who you are so much more. It's very, very true. And I tell my kids the same thing, you know, these things are especially when they're down or they're sad about something. And I'm like, be sad. I'm here for you when you're done being sad. I'm here for you during the time that you're sad, you know, but you cannot hide those emotions. You have to let it out because that's how you're going to feel. They'll come back. They'll catch up to you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then it shows up, like you said, it shows up in relationships because you keep suppressing it. And I just let them know it's just part of the recipe of life. You know, when you make, when you bake something, when you cook something, there's spices. And I I talk about salt all the time because when you're baking and you miss the salt, I'm not a good baker by any stretch of imagination, but I do, I do like to bake my banana bread (laughs) because when those bananas become very ripe, they're so perfect for banana bread. I have mastered that, but, but when I forget the salt and salt is awful on its own when it's a lot, but when I forget the salt, I know I forgot the salt because it doesn't taste the same. It enhances the flavor of something so sweet. It's the perfect, the only ingredient that makes it even sweeter when you have a dessert like baking. So I talk to them about that and it's the salt of life. You know, a lot of these, these things, life is only sweeter when you have salt, your failure, your heartbreaks, your whatever it is that you go through that we think it's negative, right? Don't you agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's funny because people don't even realize that like you add salt to like desserts. They think that it's all just sugar, but it's like, no, you really need that balance of both. Yeah. Really so remember this right now my mom posted this thing on facebook of mm-hmm. these like 25 lessons that she um 
I mean, I want to give her all the credit, but I think part of it was like she copied and pasted from somebody else. But whatever mother wrote this and the fact that my mother thought of me when she shared it, it oh. was like this long list of like reminders of your day that she sent to me or posted and tagged me in back in like 2017. And I remember finding it again, you know, Facebook has like on this day, two years ago, has that memories feature. And I remember seeing that and reading through them and seeing how they all kind of hit and resonated again. And like, it's just interesting. My mom's just always kind of found a way to be there even when, you know, uh, always be there when I needed her to be, even when she um, couldn't always physically be there. You know, I remember even in high school, when she would drive me to school and I remember being like, oh, my mom's taking me to school, I'm gonna be late. I was always late. I was always late getting to school because my mother has like the worst time management. <laughs> I remember I would walk in late, but as I left her car, she would hand me a, a quote, a quote of the day. And she would <sighs> handwrite every morning, she would write a, an inspirational, motivational quote. She was like an Instagram meme before it was a thing. And wow. so she would give me the quote and I would take it into school with me and then I would read it. I was, I was like, you know, in trouble in the office for getting my tardy slip. Um, <laughs> but the funny thing is, and I, I have a shoebox of all of those wow. quotes that I kept with me. You did. I couldn't let them go. It was just, it was too special. And like, it's funny, I go back through them and I'll read through them again, you know, and she just always has a way of kind of being there. That's awesome. You should read it on your story one day or your Facebook, uh, Facebook or Insta Live. Yeah. That would be so cool. I love that. So what's in your briefcase right now? Because I, I saw you do. <laughs> you had vodka and stuff, but. <laughs> I see it like right there. And it reminded me of the story that you did with all the stuff that you had in there, which is funny. Super funny. You're super funny. And I love your Insta bio. This is your, your naturally platinum blonde. <laughs> What's, um, before I go to my last question in the interest of time, can you let my listeners know where to find you? It's pretty easy to find him, but I want him to tell you where is he hanging out the most? Yeah, I mean, I do a lot of Instagram stories. People really love, like, I live in downtown, so, like, the buildings are really high, so I can see into my neighbors uh, directly into their, like, apartment. So I, uh, people love that I, like, narrate the lives of my neighbors. I, like, let you know when they're fighting or when they're, they have a party or, like, when they're on a date in their living room. Um, so I do that on my Instagram stories. I like to, or I like to, like, pick my Uber driver's brains, which people love as well. I ask them all these wild questions, and they surprisingly answer them. So I really funny, um, I love to do Instagram stories. It's probably my favorite uh, social media tool at the moment. But you can find me at Just Plain Zach. And that's, that's my handle, Just Plain Zach, on all Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, JustPlainZach.com. That's all my handles. And then I have my two shows, hashtag no filter with Zach Peter, which comes out Mondays and Wednesdays, and then hashtag adulting, which comes out on Tuesdays. Thank you for that. All right, last question. Are you ready? Yes. When you heard the word mother hustler, what's, what came into your mind and what is your definition of it? The Zach Peter definition of mother hustler. Zach Peter definition of mother hustler. Um, I mean, to me, every mother is a hustler. You know, so to me, it just like, one, I love the play on words, but two, to me, it just means that like, it's a, a mother that's living life on her own terms um, mm -hmm. and who is just out there 
providing for her family, but also really providing and being there for herself as well, which I think is something that our society has um, not necessarily looked down on, but hasn't really um, encouraged enough. And that's for the mothers to also be there for themselves and to, you know, have a hustle that, you know, I mean, a hustle is not just, I think people often think a hustle is just like your career or your job or like trying to make money at the end of the day, but like your hustle is really your whole lifestyle. Yeah. It's very true. Thank you for that. And thank you for showing up. Of a mother hustler. Thank you. And thank you for showing up in this world the way that you do. I think you make a lot of people laugh and smile and keep doing what you're doing. You are doing well. Keep it up. And thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for inviting me on the show. Thank you for inviting me to coffee. I think there's only more to come from this relationship. You are so welcome. Hey, ladies, I am so excited to announce my new program, The Women's Incubator. It is my brand spanking new Pick My Brain program, and it is very affordable. For $20.20 every month, you can pick my brain on an unlimited basis, hosted inside the Facebook group, The Women's Incubator with Kareen Mills. Come join us, come grow with us, and grow your impact throughout this next decade. 2020 is your year. This is your decade. It's time to make a huge impact. Visit www.kareenmills.com forward slash TWI. Again, that's www.kareenmills.com forward slash TWI, and I will see you inside the incubator. All right, sisters, thank you so much for listening and always supporting the Being Mother Hustler podcast every single episode, every single week. I know most of you take screenshots of these episodes and share it all over your social media outlet. And for some of you that's left us a five-star review, from the bottom of my heart, I'm so super grateful for you. Make sure you follow us on Spotify and subscribe to the show on iTunes. And it would mean the world to the entire Mother Hustler Nation community if you wrote us a five-star review. Because I'm telling you, this is not about me. This is not about you. It's about all of us in the community inspiring each other, learning from each other, and not allowing each other to make any excuses to chase our dreams. I swear I read those reviews and it fuels me to my core, makes me cry for great reasons, so I so look forward to reading those reviews. As always, sisters, don't forget to give, serve, live, and love. Have a mother hustling day.